Worksheet number 17, Jesus is the answer. Now, that sounds like a great statement. Jesus is the answer. The question, however, (laughs) is what are you asking? You know, Jesus is the answer to what? Well, all of life's problems, that's true. And he's the answer to discouragement. That's true. He's the answer to your predicament of being lost. That's true. But in more than in a general sense tonight, I want to demonstrate that the Bible in prophecy shows that Jesus is the answer specifically to the conundrum that we left off at our last meeting, last evening. If you recall, Daniel was given a vision in Daniel chapter 8, and most of it, a good portion of it, he already understood from the previous visions that had come before. But a new element was introduced called the 2,300 evenings and mornings, or 2,300 days. And of course, in Bible prophecy, a day equals a... Yeah, we'll get into that. Okay, So, 2,300 years, he has this massive thing, and he says, what does it mean? And the angel's answer was, it is true. Seal it up. It's like, what's the answer to the question? Uh Uh-huh. That doesn't help you at all, right? And we left with that bit of a cliffhanger, hopefully putting you in Daniel's shoes for just a little bit. But I want to show you tonight that the answer to Daniel's question is Jesus Christ. Not just in a general, vague, nebulous kind of spiritual kind of way, but in a very specific, very pointed way that Jesus is the answer. The key that unlocks the mystery of Daniel chapter 8 is Jesus himself. So before we get into that study, however, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you give us your word, that we can come together in fellowship and study together, and we ask that you would speak to us tonight clearly from these inspired pages. Help us to understand that the same Holy Spirit who inspired its writing is here tonight to inspire our understanding. So Lord, let the words that I speak not be my words at all, but let them be your words so that we can see Jesus more clearly. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let us review, before we get into Daniel chapter 9, which of course you can turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9 if you want to get a head start. That's where we're going tonight is Daniel chapter 9, which makes a good follow-up from Daniel chapter 8, right? Daniel chapter 9, it's going to be page 867 in your pew Bible. But as you're finding that, let's quickly review. And you see at the, begin- at the top of your worksheet there is a little chart, a little graph that outlines what we've learned in a very quick way so far. In Daniel chapter 2, who is the one who received the vision? Nebuchadnezzar. And if you don't recall, I have the answers written around right there in front of you. Okay? So if you can't think of it, all you have to do is read. Okay? Now, obviously, the ruling king was Nebuchadnezzar, and it happened during his second year of his reign. Daniel's role in Daniel chapter 2 was not to receive the vision, but merely to interpret the vision for Nebuchadnezzar. And I want you to notice the extent of the interpretation was complete. The interpretation covered from the time where they were starting, right there in Babylon, all the way till Jesus' eternal kingdom is set up at the end of time. God's holy mountain is established, okay? So it's a complete vision and interpretation, Daniel chapter 2 is all on its own a complete unit. Okay? Now we go on to Daniel chapter 7, this next line down. Who received this vision? Daniel himself. Thus he refers to it as his first vision. Because the other one wasn't his vision. It was Nebuchadnezzar's. But this one is his. The ruling king at that time is no longer Nebuchadnezzar, but a gentleman by the name of Belshazzar. And it was during his very first year, and I always like to bring out the point, I'm not exactly sure why, but I think it's interesting trivia, that all during the life of Nebuchadnezzar, the one who received the dreams and visions was King Nebuchadnezzar. You have one in Daniel chapter 2, you have another one in Daniel chapter 4, but it's not until Nebuchadnezzar is out of the way does the Lord speak directly to Daniel during the time of Belshazzar, which we can find in Daniel chapter 5. A good reason for that is that Belshazzar is quite the scoundrel. He's a horrible, awful individual, and he did some pretty blasphemous things, and Daniel chapter 5 records that story, and we can get into that some other time. Some inspiring reading if you want to go home and read about what not to do. Read Daniel chapter 5. Now, 
He's the ruling king, the first year of his reign, and the interpreter was just known as one who stood by. So one of the people in the vision interprets the vision that Daniel just received for him, and the extent of its interpretation, again, is complete. It begins in, in Babylon, which Melshazzar is still the king of, begins in the time of the prophet, and it ends with the establishment of God's eternal kingdom. Now, adds some elements that Daniel chapter 2 did not. You recall Daniel chapter 2, very basic outline was Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. Then Rome divided into ten parts. And then Jesus comes and God's kingdom is set up, God's eternal kingdom. Very simple. Daniel chapter 7 covers the same territory, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. Then Rome divided into ten. This time Rome is represented as a beast. Then it's a beast with ten horns. But then it adds that this beast with ten horns sprouted a little horn. So we have a third phase of Rome, the papal phase of Rome, this antichrist phase of Rome. And then it added, and after its 1,260 years of supremacy, there would be a judgment in heaven... And after that, the little horn would speak just a little bit more, and then Jesus would come. It's exactly as 2 Thessalonians and the Apostle Paul pointed out. But you see the same thing here, a beginning in Babylon and ending with Jesus coming. It's the same span of history. It just gives more detail. It expands and enlarges and zooms in on this particular end-time portion of the chronology. Does that make sense? Is everybody on board with this? I know that I've said it over and over, but I want to ground you in this basic skeletal structure so that everything else we put onto it has a place that it fits in, okay? I want to give you the framework, build the foundation so that when you put up the walls, they stay standing, okay? Now, Daniel chapter 8 in our little chart. The vision recipient was Daniel again. The king on the throne is still Belshazzar. But this time, it's the third year of his reign. So doing the simple math, how long has elapsed from the first vision to the second vision? Two years. So he gets that complete picture in Daniel chapter 7. He's like, man, this is a very detailed version of what I had seen in Nebuchadnezzar's dream with the outline of world history. But Daniel chapter 8 comes along now. In the third year of King Belshazzar, the interpreter, by the way, it mentions specifically, gives us his name. It's interesting, in Daniel chapter 8, you have more explicit uh, references to things. Instead of, instead of just saying an angel or one who stood by, it says, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. Make him understand. So it mentions him by name. By the way, it also specifically mentions the empires of Medo-Persia and Greece. Very explicit in its interpretation in Daniel chapter 8. But though that interpretation is explicit, it is also incomplete. Okay? It does not begin in Babylon, and you think, why is that? Why is that? And by the time this evening's over, we will know very clearly why it does not begin in Babylon. But more importantly, it doesn't end with Jesus' kingdom being set up at all. It simply ends with this cliffhanger of this new added time frame of 2,300 days, or in prophetic time, that's 2,300 years. And what happens at the end of the 2,300 years? Unto 2,300 days shall the sanctuary be what? Cleansed. Which is the day of atonement, or the day in Jewish, Daniel would understand, that's the day of judgment of all people. This is the the great day of God's judgment. And it's going to begin at the end of the 2,300 years. But what's the problem with finding out that it ends at the end of 2,300 years? Got no starting point. Daniel's like, okay, now I want to know about that 2,300. And he said, yes, it is. It is true. Now, seal it up. For it deals with the later times, times of the end. You won't even be around for it, Daniel. Don't worry about it. Just close it up. Be done. And Daniel was, again, go back to the very last verse of Daniel chapter 8. How did Daniel receive Daniel chapter 8, verse 27? And I, Daniel, fainted and was what? Sick for days. Afterward, I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one did what? Daniel leaves that vision 
not understanding the vision. Now, before we even get into the interpretation of it, there obviously were parts of the vision he did understand. For instance, he knew what the ram represented. Not only could he piece it together by aligning it up with Daniel's chapter 2 and 7, but also Gabriel tells him, the ram is Medo-Persia. Check. Got that part. No problem. And the goat with its prominent horn, that is Greece, and the prominent horn is its first king. Okay, that's Greece, and history will now tell us that first prominent king was Alexander the Great. So he has no problem with Babylon he was living in. The next thing would be Medo-Persia. Then would come Greece. The sequence of political history he has no problem with. But there was something about Daniel chapter 8 that he did not understand. And he got left not understanding it. Okay, I want to make this point patently clear. So now we go to Daniel chapter 9. Knowing Daniel's mindset is incredibly important as we go into this chapter. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. And you'll notice a few things have changed. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the whom? Who's in power now? The Medes. We've had the transition between Babylon and Medo-Persia. Of course, Belshazzar is the last king of Babylon. And in Daniel chapter 5, what you can read about his no good decision making was to hold this abominable, heretical feast, blasphemous feast. And on that very night, the Medes and Persians ganged up on him and came in and swept him away in one evening. And now we have a new king in town. And it's interesting that Daniel survives. It's almost the Lord, like the Lord protected this man and had a place for him. So it says in chapter 9, verse 1, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel... What's that next word? What does, oh, he understands the mystery. Is that what it is? Let's just see what it is. Understood by the what? By the books. The number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through whom? Jeremiah Jeremiah the prophet. That he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Okay? Now, this is interesting. Daniel understood by the books. So much here I want to dissect for you, but we just don't have time to go into everything. But... Notice that Daniel is a prophet of God, but when God is not giving him an immediate answer to his questions, where does he turn for answers? The Word of God. He goes back to the Scripture, to the Bible itself, right? Prophets study other prophets. Do the prophets inherently know all this deep mystical wisdom? Of course not. They receive what they receive from God, and when God isn't giving them, they go back to the Word of God. And he said, I need to understand some things. In in verse 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through whom? What book of the Bible was he studying? Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet. And he was looking specifically for the number of years that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Now you have to understand, he grew up in Jerusalem, was taken captive by Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar, has now lived through Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, and now he's in the time of Darius the Mede, and time is ticking along. He's no longer, longer that you know, rugged, young, good-looking, able-to-quickly-learn you know, captive who was taken from Jerusalem. He's aging. He's gone through a regime and another regime and another one, and he's saying, isn't our time just about up? You know, our, we were taken into captivity. Isn't it about time to go free? Now, where does he learn this? I think this is fascinating, by the way. We still have the book of Jeremiah. We can go back and read the very thing that Daniel was studying. So let's go to Dar- Jeremiah chapter 25. And where did he come up with this 70 weeks, I mean 70 years concept? Jeremiah chapter 25. This will be page 755 in your pew Bible. Very quickly, we can look at these. Start with verse 1. Look at how plainly Jeremiah spoke 
to the people before the captivity of Babylon. Verse 1, The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Joash, the king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, From the thirteenth year of the son of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, even to this day, this is the twenty-third year in which the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, but you have not what? He's like, look, this is the first year of King Nebuchadnezzar, and we've been told that Nebuchadnezzar is going to be the one that takes us into captivity. I have been preaching this message to you people for twenty-three years. And you haven't listened. Verse 4. And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, but you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. They said, Repent now, every one of his evil way and his evil doings, and dwell in the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them, and do not provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, and I will not harm you. This is a completely self-inflicted wound you're about to suffer. Yet, verse 7, you have not listened to me, says the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Therefore, verse 8, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and notice what he refers to him as, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against all these nations around, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing and perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp, and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon... Seventy years. So we go back to Daniel. By the way, you find the same thing in in Jeremiah chapter 29, but we need to keep moving on. Make it uh, unmistakably clear that Daniel picked up the book of Jeremiah. And you, of course, you think about this. Jeremiah has for 23 years been preaching, and this was the first year of King Nebuchadnezzar when he started to say, your time is up. Daniel is a young man, likely in his teenage years when he's taken hostage. That means he grew up listening to the messages of Jeremiah being preached. And he saw his country go back over and back over and not get their act together. And now he's living at the other end of this 70 years of captivity, or very close to it. He sees it's coming down the calendar line, right? And apparently he has a concern on his mind. So he goes back and he checks the Bible record. How long are we supposed to be here? And now we go back to Daniel chapter 9 in verse 3. What does Daniel do after he studies the word of the Lord? He turns now and he prays. Daniel chapter 9 verse 3. Then I set my face towards the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. And said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with all those who keep his commandments. You'll notice over and over, parenthetically, all throughout Scripture, you will find love manifests in keeping God's commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And he says, Lord, I prayed and gave confession, uh, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. Verse 5, we have, what? Sinned and committed an iniquity, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets. Which, by the way, wasn't that exactly what Jeremiah was saying for those 23 years? Daniel says, we are guilty. We got what we deserved. You were right. We were wrong. We sinned. We have sin, verse 5 again, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Verse 6, neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. 
O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face as it is this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. Does Daniel say, woe is me, why are we here? No. He says, I don't even have to ask that question. Your word says it. I grew up listening to it and I've seen it come true in my life. Lord, we have sinned. You know what's another interesting side note? Not once in the book of Daniel does it record Daniel doing anything wrong. You will never find one sin recorded that Daniel did. Now, I'm not saying that he never sinned in his life. I'm not fine. The Bible makes it clear all have sinned. But nowhere in the record of Daniel. In fact, his enemies tried to find something to pin on him in Daniel chapter 6 to throw him in the lion's den, and they couldn't. He was neither corrupt nor negligent. He was never late to work. He was never rude. He never cheated on his sex. He was a good guy. Yet, when he looks at the spiritual condition of his people, he counts himself as part of them. He says, Lord, we have sinned. It's on all of us. You're a good God and we are a wicked people. We got what we deserve. He wasn't, he wasn't, he was just simply confessing the sin of his people. Now, I want to interject something here because we go down, let's just go down to verse 9. We just don't have time to read the whole prayer, but it's a beautiful passage. But basically, Daniel chapter 9, the first half, is nothing more than a prayer of confession that Daniel says, I've looked at the word of God, I've looked at the condition of our people, and Lord, you were right, we were wrong, we sin, and we're done. And now, verse 19, let's skip down to the end of, our, of his prayer. He cries out, what is he asking for? Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and act. Do not delay, for whose sake? For your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. He's Lord, we don't deserve it. But to bring glory to your name, Lord, fulfill this promise. So Daniel is not seeking anything but the glory of the Lord. And then something happens. But before we get into the then something happens, let's go to our worksheet. And you're, we're going to take a jaunt down um, Hebrew language lane. Which I'm not a Hebrew scholar. And so this won't take very long at all. <laughs> but there's a couple of important terms I want you to see as they relate to our study tonight. The word vision, V-I-S-I-O-N, vision, that's just, by the way, that's English. <laughs> the vision that we find in Daniel 8 and Daniel 9 now, of course, Daniel chapter 9, there is not going to be a new vision, but he uses the word vision to refer back to what occurred in Daniel chapter 8, okay? But the word vision that we find in Daniel 8 and 9 actually comes from two different Hebrew words. So there are two different Hebrew words, and when the English translators, the scholars, put this into our language, they put both of those words into one term that we call vision. But basically, what we have there are two different words for vision that in English are just called vision. Okay? Now, those words are, the first one is hazon, H-A-Z-O-N, H-A-Z-O-N, hazon. And the second one is mara, M as in Mary, M-A-R-E-H, mara, hazon and Mera. Now, why are we bringing this out in the middle of the study about Daniel's prayer? Because it's about to get important. I want you to have the tools you need to face what's coming next. Okay? Now, Hazon, go to the next one, refers to the entire vision. So when Daniel speaks of the Hazon, he's talking about the entire visionary experience from start to finish, the ram, the goat, the sequence of events, the whole visionary experience, the entire thing. When he talks about that, that's what the verb that he uses or that noun that he uses is Hazon. Hazon refers to the entire vision while Mera refers only to a portion or a part of the vision, okay? 
Again, this is going to be important for just a moment, but please understand, when he says Hazon, he's talking about the whole big overarching experience of being in vision. When he talks about Merah, there's one particular aspect or portion or part of the bigger vision that he has in mind. Okay? Hazon and Merah. It's an easy way to remember it. Hazon and Merah. Are we good so far? Okay. I'll take your silence to be, go on, preach on. Okay, we'll do that. (laughs) Now let's keep going, Daniel chapter 9. Now, verse 20. While I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy for the holy mountain of God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man whom? Gabriel. Now stop right there. Have we seen Gabriel before? Where? Chapter eight. He was the interpreter for Daniel chapter eight, right? Gabriel comes up, and he mentions this specifically. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. It's an interesting turn of phrase, being caused to fly swiftly. It's almost like he was launched. He was thrown out there. He was sent on a mission. He was caused. He was, go out, and he flew swiftly reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to what? What's the thing Daniel didn't do at the end of Daniel 8? Understand. Now, so far in Daniel chapter 9, has there been a vision? No. So nothing in Daniel chapter 9 can he be referring to because there has been no vision to interpret, no mystery to understand. He's just been praying, right? Then it goes on. And he informed me again, verse 22, and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. Verse 23, I love the sequence of this. Notice this. At the beginning of your supplications, so as soon as you opened your mouth to pray, The command went out, and I have come to tell you. Notice that it's almost like Gabriel wanted to go tell him, and he's like, wait, wait, wait for it, wait for it. Daniel starts praying. He's like, go. And he comes in swiftly. So by the time he starts his prayer, he's sent, and before he ends his prayer, he arrives. Good lesson for us, by the way. If you call out to the Lord, it doesn't take long for help to come. In the moment, in the twinkling of eye, he's flying swiftly. Again, verse 23, at the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Okay. Now, let's look at verses 26 there. Well, not yet, not yet. Okay. Let's keep going. Understand the vision. Now, question, what vision? Is he talking about the vision of Daniel chapter 9? No. Give me one very, very good reason he is not talking about the vision of Daniel chapter 9. Because there is no vision of Daniel chapter 9. There's nothing to interpret. Okay? So he's come to give understanding about the vision. The only one he can be referring to is the only one he hasn't understood, which is the one from Daniel chapter 8. I want to very clear it. Daniel 8 and chapter 9 work together like hand in glove. They must. Now, here is how he explains what he did not understand before. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Remember, that's what he was praying for, for your people, for your holy city, right? To finish transgression. Apparently, the time in exile of Babylon didn't finish their transgression. They're still wicked. Daniel admits it, right? He says, but look, 70 weeks are determined for you and your people to finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy 
Now, that's interesting. But let's now go back to Daniel chapter 8. Why did we talk about... Well, I'm sorry, let's start with 9 verse 21. Let's follow along right in our notes there. Let's just take it right from our notes. While I was speaking in prayer... The man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the, in the vision, and of course, what's the Hebrew word there for vision? Hazon. That means the vision experience, the whole thing, the big picture. At the beginning, being caused to sw- fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. Now, again, let's think about it logically. Was there, were there things about the vision of Daniel chapter 8 that he already understood? Yes. He had already been told very specifically, it's Medo-Persia, it's Greece. Hi, my name is Gabriel. I mean, everything he knows except for one part of the vision he does not understand. Right? Now, let's keep going. Verse 23. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the mera. The mera. He has not come to give him understanding about everything about the last vision. Most of that he already had. He's come to give him understanding of one particular portion of the vision. Now, which portion is that? For that, let's go back, and we've got them right there in our notes, to Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8 in verse 1, the whole thing starts off the previous chapter by saying, in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision, that is a hazon, the big picture, appeared to me, to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. And that's a reference back even further to Daniel chapter 7. I saw in the vision, that is the experience of being in vision, Hazon. And so it happened while I was looking that I was in the Sushan, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in the vision, that is Hazon, that I was by the river Ulai. When he starts into the vision, he's talking about, you know, the vision, the big picture vision is Hazon, 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 Hazon. But we go down to chapter 8 and verse 26. And the vision of the evenings and mornings, which was told, is true. And when he makes reference to the vision of the evenings and mornings, he no longer uses the term hazon. He uses the term mera. Okay, this is going to be important. Therefore, seal up the vision, the whole thing, seal the whole thing up, the hazon. Seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days... And afterwards I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the... What was he astonished by? The vision. But which Hebrew word for vision is there? Merah. The little part. He was not astonished and misunderstanding the whole thing. There was only one part that he did not understand, and it names it in Hebrew very specifically for us, the vision of the evenings and mornings. The 2,300 days or years. That's what he did not understand. So then when we go to Daniel chapter 9, we go back to verse 23. Gabriel says, At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you're greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the what? The mera, the vision. Whatever he has come to explain to Daniel is an answer to the 2300-day portion of Daniel chapter 8. Okay? So in Daniel chapter 9, the answer, whatever he gets in Daniel chapter 9, is a direct answer to what he did not understand about Daniel chapter 8. And the only part he didn't understand was the mera, or the vision, of the 2300 days. So, boiling it all down, the thing he was confused about in Daniel chapter 8 was the 2,300 days, and now he's getting the answer to that in what he's about to reveal. Are we all on the same page? All right, we continue. 
Make this patently clear right there in your notes. Gabriel has not come to give a new vision, but an explanation of the previous vision. Okay? No new information here, no new vision at least, but an explanation of a previous vision. So the answer to the time prophecy of Daniel 8 is the time prophecy of Daniel chapter 9. Okay. Now think about this. The thing in Daniel 8 that he did not understand was the 2,300 days, or in literal time, years. 2,300 years. I don't understand that. And the answer he is given is another time prophecy. The thing you didn't understand about time prophecy, I will solve with another time prophecy. So we have to walk through Daniel chapter 9 to understand Daniel chapter 8. So let's go back now to the other side of our worksheet and see what it says here. Again, verse 24 of Daniel chapter 9. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. He says, you and your people have 70 weeks determined. Now I want to break down two things there. First of all, the term determined, that's translated in English determined, comes from a Hebrew word that the closest my American tongue can come to saying it is chatak. Okay? And that doesn't sound pretty, but it's chatak. Right? So if you were to say it in English, probably it's chatak. But it would probably sound nicer to be guttural. But I don't have that. So you get English. Katak. The thing about this term, determined or katak, is that in the entire Bible, the only time that particular term is ever used is right there in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined. Now, though the Bible doesn't use that term, other literature of the same time, other Hebrew extra-biblical sources do use that term, and it's used as, well, it means to cut off, more like a butcher or an amputee would, so it's almost onomatopoetic, cutting something, dissecting taking a smaller piece from the larger body. Okay? And this is important because Daniel had just been wrestling with a big time prophecy, 2,300 years. And now he says 70 weeks are cut off. And the question is, cut off from what? The thing he didn't understand. Because the whole purpose of him coming in Daniel 9 is to help him understand Daniel 8. Okay? So the 2,300 years, this massive time prophecy says, look, two, uh, 70 weeks of that are determined or cut off, amputated from that larger piece. Okay? Now, next, we understand the simple principle that in, prophecy, in prophetic time, a day is equal to a literal time of a year. Okay? So in prophecy, a day equals a literal year. So if it's, for instance, if it was a 70-day prophecy, very easy to interpret. It would be a 70-year fulfillment, right? But it's not a 70-day prophecy. It's a 70-week prophecy. So instead of just your multiply factor, multiplication factor being one, now your multiplication factor is seven. So you do 70 times Seven. By the way, have you ever heard 70 times seven somewhere in Scripture before? How often, how many times shall you forgive? Right? It's fascinating. 70 times seven, right? Did you think Jesus just pulled up that number? How long should I give my people to be forgiven? 70 times seven. Interesting. But here, Daniel receives this message of 70 weeks, which translated into literal time is 490 
years are cut off from the 2,300-year prophecy you've just been given. So let's continue on. This time is to uh, seal up vision and prophecy to anoint the most holy. Let's look at some New Testament fulfillments of that very briefly. Luke chapter 4, page 995 in your pew Bible. Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 18. Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, page 995 in your pew Bible. Jesus stands up at the very beginning of his ministry. He goes to the church of Nazareth where he was raised, the synagogue there, and he stands up, reads from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and says these words, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon whom? Me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then what does he say in verse 20? Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all of whom, all of who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And what does he say? By the way, he reads scripture and has this only simple application. Verse 21, and he began to say to them, today this scripture is what? Fulfilled in your hearing. To seal up vision and prophecy, Jesus comes along and says, all those Old Testament passages about the one who is coming, I am it. We're going to see very clearly that these 490 years are a time looking forward to the coming of the Jewish Messiah. They've got 490 years to get their house in order, to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to seal up vision and prophecy with the coming of Jesus. And he goes on to say, to anoint the most holy. Matthew chapter 3. When was Jesus anointed for his ministry? Matthew chapter 3, page 937. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. It says here, when he had been, what? baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. By the way, that Acts chapter 10, if you want to flip over there very quickly, in reviewing the life of Jesus after he departed for heaven, The Witness of the Disciples about Jesus' Ministry, page 1063. Acts chapter 10, starting with verse 36. Notice what is said of Jesus. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all, that you would know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with what? The Holy Spirit. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with prayer, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. When was Jesus anointed for his ministry? At his baptism by the Holy Spirit himself. Okay, So Jesus is anointed, and of course he is the most holy, he is the high priest, he is the culmination of all of those prophecies. Now we go back to Daniel chapter 9. More detail is given. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25 now. Starts off with a saying, Know therefore and understand. So apparently, whatever he's about to say, he wants Daniel to do, to both know and to understand it. Of course, what was, what was he missing before? Understanding. This is the linchpin to help him understand. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. 
So notice now what we have that we did not have in Daniel chapter 8. We have ourselves a starting point. Right? And that's the piece of the puzzle he was missing in Daniel chapter 8, was the starting point. He knew the duration. He knew the culmination. He just didn't know when the thing started. And it was at that point that the angel said, well, seal it up, you're done. So now Gabriel comes back, the one from the earlier vision. He says, I've come to make you understand the 2300 days, the mera of the evenings and mornings. And here's the key, know and understand from, and I'm imagining when he said from, Daniel's ears perked up. It's like, oh, here it comes. From the issuing of the decree, from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. Okay, so that's our starting point. But now notice what the ending point of this new little time prophecy is. Until whom? Messiah the prince shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. Now, go back to page 450 in your Bible to the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 7, we can actually read the command that was given that fulfilled this prophecy that Daniel was given here. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, write in that little package of books there if you're having difficulty with it. Page 450, Ezra chapter 7. Let's start with verse 12. We can actually read the decree itself. Fascinating. Of course, it was given by Artaxerxes, who, by the way, was a Persian king. Okay? Let's just throw this and let it be one of the... Why wasn't the vision of Daniel chapter 8 with the ram and the goat, why didn't it start with Babylon? Often you will hear, well, Babylon was basically over. Well, except for the problem is it still had 12 more years to go when that was written. It was closer to done, but it wasn't like imminent within the day or within the week, or within the month or the year. It was still 12 more years away. The reason is, is because the focus on Daniel chapter 9 is the 2300 days that will commence the cleansing of the sanctuary. And the beginning of that 2300 day prophecy does not start in Babylon. It starts in Persia under the, the direction of Artaxerxes. Look here, Ezra chapter 7, verse 12. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, a scribe of the law of the God of heaven. Peace, per, uh, perfect peace, and so forth. <laughs> I love that. That's a really great, perfect peace, you know, and whatnot, etc. Blah, blah, blah. Verse 13. Let me get to the good stuff. I issue a decree that all those of the people of Israel and the priests and Levites in my realm who volunteer to go up to Jerusalem may go with you. Anybody who wants to go can go. Now, verse 14, And whereas you are being sent by the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand, and, verse 15, there was apparently there was legalese even back in those days, <laughs> and whereas you are to carry the silver and gold which the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. So notice it's not just you can go free, but we're going to give you money. Wouldn't that be great? I would love to get a letter like this from the government. But we'll just go on now. <clears throat> and whereas all the silver and gold that you may find in all the province of Babylon, along with it the freewill offering of the people and the priests, are to be freely offered for the house of their God in Jerusalem. Now therefore, and I love this part, now therefore be careful to buy with this money bulls, rams, and lambs, with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and offer them on the altar of the house of your God in Jerusalem. Verse 18 continues, And whatever seems good to you and to your brethren to do with the rest of the silver and the gold, do it according to the will of your God. Anything, keep the change. Anything excess, that's for you. It's between you and the Lord. Do what you will. 
Also, the articles that are given to you for the service of the house of your God deliver in full before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever more may be needed for the house of your God, which you may have occasion to provide, pay for it from the king's treasury. And even I, and I, even I, Artaxerxes the king, issue a decree to all the treasures who are in the region beyond the river, and that that whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, may require of you, let it be done diligently. Up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, and salt without prescribed limit. Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be diligently done for the house of God of heaven, for why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? And it goes on, it goes on and on to talk about, by the way, you don't have to pay taxes, you can take all our money, spend it on anything you need for the house of the Lord, and if there's extra, keep it for yourself. That's a pretty nice emancipation proclamation. So he not only let the people go, but he gave them provision to do what God's command had said would be done. To rebuild Jerusalem and the walls, right? To reestablish the sanctuary services to get Israel back on its feet like it used to be before it was uh, in captivity. Now, just go forward to the right Seven pages. Go to page 457, and we, re- we find in Nehemiah the, the building of the wall. Of course, Nehemiah, um, the street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. We f- find the fulfillment of this in Nehemiah chapter 4. It was not smooth sailing for those people, even though they had all those provisions. Apparently, they were slack in their work. Nehemiah comes along and rallies the people to the work. But I want to show you how not everything was peace and safety while they were building the wall. In verse 17, it records, records, Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Right? So you have a trowel to work in one hand, you have a sword to defend in the other hand, or a shield or something like that. You have a weapon of war in one hand and a weapon of work in the other hand. Goes on, verse 18, every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So it seems pretty clear that all the things that God outlined about the the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem was given, and that has a specific date, which is the year 457 B.C., the issue to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, as your little chart there at the top, outlines that at Artaxerxes, take all the money you need, do whatever you need to do, decree occurred in 457 B.C. Jerusalem was rebuilt roughly in 408. Now, there isn't like a definite time where one day it was built and the next day, I mean, one day it wasn't built, the next day it was, but around 408 B.C., Jerusalem is rebuilt, which happens to be the first week or 49 years of that first seven weeks of the prophecy. But then in 62 weeks, beyond that, what do we have? Now let's go back to the Bible, Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. In fact, we have it just for the sake of expedience right there in your worksheet. Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. And after the 62 weeks... That is the, the 62 that came after the 7. That's the 69th week, because 62 plus 7 is 69. After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be what? Cut off. Now, the whole thing is leading up to the Messiah, right? The Messiah, your prince is going to come, but apparently what's going to happen to him? He's going to be cut off. And notice this. For not for whom? Himself. Not because of anything he had done, but because of stuff we have done. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So the last week of the 490 year time prophecy was about Jesus and his ministry on this earth. It begins, by the way, if you go from 457 B.C., and count out 62 weeks prophetically, or 434 years. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, if you count out 62, uh, 69, I'm sorry, prophetic weeks 
483 literal years, you happen to come to the year 27 A.D. And there's one crucial spiritual event that happened in the year 27 A.D. And that was the baptism of Jesus when he was anointed to be God's representative on this earth. So that begins, the baptism of Jesus begins that last week of the 490-year prophecy. Now notice that in the middle of the week, now what's the halfway point of seven? Three and a half. Three and a half years into that final week, he shall be, according to Scripture, cut off. But not for himself. Of course, three and a half years after his baptism, Jesus was cut off from the living by his execution on the cross of Calvary. But it was not for himself. Messiah should be cut off, but not for himself. In 2 Corinthians, Isaiah chapter 53, it tells us, All we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of whom? Us all. And by his stripes we are healed. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 explains that Jesus on the cross became sin for us. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That's what happened in A.D. 31 or three and a half years into the final week of that 490-year prophecy. And in the middle of the week, he was bringing in to sacrifice and offering. Of course, John had declared Jesus, when he saw him in his baptism, he declared him to be the, what? Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when Jesus died on the cross, as Paul said, he was our Passover lamb. He fulfilled those visions and prophecies about the coming Messiah by being cut off, not for himself, but for his people. And then Daniel chapter 9 continues, verse 26 again. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. By the way, did Jesus ever warn of a coming destruction of Jerusalem? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. The end of it shall be with the flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Now that sounds a little bit of a confusing language here, but let's be clear. The people of the prince who is to come is speaking about the people of Rome, and they're the ones who destroyed Jerusalem. They're the ones who actually accomplished what both Daniel and then Jesus later on would say was going to happen. And that's what Paul was referring to in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 when he was talking about the Antichrist power, the little horn. But until that time is revealed, there's one restraining his full development. It's a, it's a reference to imperial Rome of Daniel chapter 2, 7, and the little horn of Daniel chapter 8. Shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That's exactly what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 24. And it says, abomination shall be one, abomination sh- uh, shall be one who makes desolate. And of course, what's fascinating is, in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 and 16, Jesus alludes directly to Daniel chapter 9 when he says in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 24, that's going to be page 960 in your pew Bible, therefore when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, so this is a clear reference to Daniel chapter 9 specifically, standing in the holy place, and he says, whoever reads Let him understand. Jesus, this is a fun little trivia fact, in his entire ministry, only specifically encouraged, now of course he wants you to read all of Scripture, yes, no problem, but he specifically, when he was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and its parallel event at the end of time, the destruction of the world, the end days, he says, read 
and understand what book of the Bible? Daniel. He said, when you see that, you'll understand. He who reads, let him understand. Whoever reads, let him understand. Now let's come to the conclusion of this. The title of tonight's message was Jesus is the Answer. But first we have to establish what was the question. The question was, when will the starting point be of the 2,300 years that will usher in the judgment or the day of atonement of the people of God? In the end of Daniel chapter 8, he did not know. But in Daniel chapter 9, Gabriel returns and tells him, know and understand. And he gives him another time prophecy. But he says this time prophecy, the 490 years, or prophetically 70 weeks, are cut off from that larger 2,300 years, and it gives you a starting point. Thus, the starting point of Daniel chapter 8 is the same starting point as Daniel chapter 9. It's just the first 490 years culminate with the ministry of Jesus Christ. By the way, one thing I love about this Notice it says in the middle of the last week, that means that there's three and a half years, then Jesus is cut off, but the prophecy extends for another three and a half years until 34 AD, which just happens to be the date when Stephen stood up, defended the ministry of Jesus before the Sanhedrin and gave them one last opportunity to repent. And of course, they closed their ears and yelled at him with the top of their lungs and they stoned him to death. And with that, they sealed forever this idea of Israel being a special people separate from the world, his messengers of light. He said, no, no, no. Now my gospel is going to the world. But what's fascinating about that is it wasn't even the death of Jesus that did it. It was their rejection of his messenger when he said, even though Jesus has died, he still wants to forgive you. It's a powerful thought to me. But there we see on the little chart that the beginning of both the 70-week prophecy and the 2,300-year prophecy are the same date, 457 B.C. The ministry of Jesus and the, the events surrounding his first coming are the opening part of this much longer prophecy. The 2,300 years begins with Jesus... And, of course, the ending is the judgment of Jesus and his eventual return at the end of that judgment. So what's fascinating about this time prophecy, it begins all about Jesus and his first coming, and it concludes all about Jesus and his final work as high priest and his second coming when he will come with his reward with us. Thus, by the way, the conclusion of our two-night study is very simple. You go from 457 B.C. and you go forward 2,300 years and you know when the beginning of that judgment scene in heaven started. Okay? 2,300 years from 457 B.C. brings us right to the year 1844 A.D. In the year 1844 A.D., Jesus Christ did not return to the earth as many people at that time expected him to do, but instead went into the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary to begin what had been prophesied so long before the cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary. The Day of Atonement began right on time in fulfillment of Daniels 7, 8, and 9. And the answer to the conundrum of Daniel was Jesus. Jesus in his first coming starts the whole thing off, and Jesus preparing for his second coming is the close of the message. The 2300 days is all about Jesus, his first coming, his intercession as priest, and his eventual second coming, which we are living at the time looking forward to. Which tells me, brothers and sisters, if the heavenly sanctuary began being the cleansing process, that day of atonement, final judgment began in 1844. Are we living before or after that time? After that time. We are living in the day of judgment. The hour of his judgment, friends, has come. We're living in it now. 
Now, praise the Lord that, remember, in the typical service, even on the most holy place day ministry, the day of atonement, there was a daily sacrifice for, for sins. Anything that you want to bring to Jesus as your advocate, as your intercessor, as your mediator, bring it to Jesus. The door is still open. But he's doing more than simply forgiving sins, brothers and sisters. He wants to blot the whole thing out. And soon he's going to come, and his reward is with him to give to each one according to his works. Does this make sense? Daniel 7, look forward to a day of judgment before Jesus' return. Daniel 8 prophesied the timing of the beginning of it, but it didn't have a starting point. Daniel chapter 9 gives the beginning of that starting point, and it begins with the ministry of Jesus here on earth, and it concludes with the final ministry of Jesus in heaven. Friends, prophecy is not about beasts, it's not about terrors, it's not about the enemies of Christ, it's about Jesus Christ from beginning to end. I hope we see that patently clear directly from the pages of Scripture. Once again, has it made sense this evening? Praise God for that. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so, so much for being a God who gives us information and communicates through your word messages we need to know and understand. Lord, they're not sitting right there on the surface, but we have to dig as for buried treasure. But, Lord, you've promised to to anyone who lacks wisdom, you will give liberally, freely. So, Lord, we come admitting we do not know in our own wisdom the deep mysteries of God, but we trust that your word is true, that the Holy Spirit can still guide and direct, and that there is a message for us living today. Lord, help us to understand that Jesus is not only our sacrifice on the cross and our mediator in the courts of heaven, but now he is our advocate in the most holy place. And Lord, during this time of judgment, let each one of us afflict our souls and anything that would stand between us and our Savior. Let us give it all to Jesus so that when he returns, we can go from this world to the next just like we're going home. Lord, this is our prayer, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.